Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad to have you all here with us for episode 107, which we are recording the weekend before the midterm elections, which which are uh, brewing up into a steamy pot of nonsense, just like most political elections. <laughs> Do do explain further a steamy pot of nonsense. So continue. So, what, so there's, tell me about this steamy a, pot a, of there's nonsense. There's a few few parts to that. The, the steamy part is is the heat. You know, it, it looks like they're going to be some close elections. It looks like it's you know people are saying extreme things. You know, it's that normal political heat, that intensity. You know, even if the stakes are low, even though in this case the stakes are not low, there are decent sized stakes. You know. We're talking like ribeyes, you know, or or something, but maybe not like a what's that huge one? The the, the tomahawk. It's not a tomahawk steak, but it's it's a decent sized steak. Um, I don't know. I in being in Texas, man, it's all about the brisket. Just forget the steak. <laughs> Brisket's where it's at. Uh, you know, and maybe if I ever had a good brisket, I'd appreciate that. Oh my gosh! Why haven't you come here to visit me? You can get good brisket on the on the street. Okay. So, anyways, the, so it's clearly not brisket or tomahawk. So steaks. So hence the steamy pot of goodness, um, of of nonsense because it is still politics. Um, in here in Utah, we've we've got a couple of, of very local races. It's not going to apply to any of you that are just ridiculous. There's this one. This is for the Utah the Utah House. So it's very small potatoes, right? I mean, this is not even a full-time position. This is a part-time gig, you know, for the Utah, the Utah House of Representatives, Utah Congress. And you have an incumbent who is running who we have a Republican primary and a Democratic primary here in Utah, like most and like lots of states. And that primary is prevented if you win more than 60% of the vote in the Republican convention, unless you can get a thousand signatures. So there's two ways to make sure there's a primary. As long as you get a stop, the top player from getting 60% of the vote, then there's going to be a primary and you get a chance to go out and have a regular vote amongst all the Republicans. If that doesn't happen, all you need to do is get a thousand signatures. You're good to go. You're back on. There's a primary. Well, this guy failed to do either of those. But the most embarrassing thing is that he's the incumbent. Like he's the guy who's been serving in office for a while and couldn't couldn't <laughs> couldn't win the prior vote with the convention, couldn't get the thousand signatures, but has since then amassed this massive campaign because he's no longer on the ballot. This massive write-in campaign as the incumbent. So our incumbent in our district for the Utah House is running a write-in campaign. Like he's being endorsed by a former governor. He's being endorsed by like our county commissioner. He's got signs on every street. He's not on the ballot. Like he's got money to spare and he's not even on the ballot because he screwed up so bad. And it's just embarrassing. And then the guy he's running against... Just got a Twitter account exposed where he was tweeting all these these 
politically incorrect things. And so it's just it's just a joke. And I'm just embarrassed to be in this district where where I voted. <laughs> Luckily, I voted. There was a third party running in that district, which is rare in Utah. Most of these candidates, <laughs> right, you don't get local, a third party. Yeah. But it's a third party candidate I could vote for because I was too embarrassed by these two candidates. Anyways, that's just a small... <laughs> A small mirror that's being held up to the United States on on a whole, in terms of how ridiculous you know politics can be. So so yeah, so I'm excited about about these elections. You know, it'll be fun, Dan. It is. Um, did you know Mike Lee in Utah is being threatened? Yeah. Well, he should call I, the police. I, I, I've heard. I don't, I don't know what the stakes are, but I heard an interview with Mike Lee in passing. Um, Mike Lee, if if you people don't know, if you people, you people don't know, (laughs) if anyone listening doesn't know, Mike Lee's a a sitting senator from Utah, um, who's very, very popular among the, uh, you know, kind of rights-based conservative groups. He's extremely conservative by any measure, Um, perhaps the most conservative and of all of the, I, I don't, I don't know how you would measure that because conservative isn't like a particular idea, but he, uh, he's really reliable in how he votes and those kind of things. So he has a lot of respect from a large group of people, but he may, he's his threat is actually an independent McMullen who ran for president when Romney was running for president, and is now running as an independent and seems to be anyway. Anyway, I was surprised. I've never seen Mike Lee get really emotional he's usually like a super calm dude he really he is was, he's he's very he was stoic. irate he was irate about mcmullen's <laughs> mcmullen threatening him as an independent and yes how how dare someone run against me the audacity of some people dan is truly unmatched well mick well mcmullen's uh conservative two question mark and anyway there's lots of weird things around mcmullen uh, including his run against romney to be to be fair N- I, neither I, here nor there I, I, these are just examples I, of the i don't problem. i don't think i don't think mike lee is gonna lose his lose his seat but yes it is I it is interesting the does. way things have broken down is is never what you expect which is actually refreshing um speaking of which there was a there was quite the unicorn that showed up with this election cycle and that was uh that CNN decided to fact check Biden's midterm message, and they chose nine things that he said campaigning leading up to these midterms that were false, which was wild. And they, while their language was polite, they were very courteous towards President Biden. They were pretty brutal. I, I think I'll uh, I'll post a link to that on our. Uh, on our description because it's just it's worth a read we're not going to go into all of the ways they nitpick at him but after the number of times cnn has ignored things that biden has done it (laughs) was very refreshing yeah and maybe it's a sign of uh i mean it could be one of two things we've talked about how cnn is trying to rebrand and they're they're as a uh as a news organization they've become they had become very partisan they get a new takeover uh they merge with what discovery I can't remember. Warner, whatever the Warner yeah. Brothers essentially uh, company is. And uh, and then the the head dude's like, yeah, we're going back to reporting the news. They did end up over the over the last six months, they've fired a number of prominent uh, shows and they're aiming to be more neutral. I, I wish them the best of luck with that. I, I can't imagine they actually make money. I think their money woes are going to continue, but but good. I think that's the right direction news should go. And maybe this is an example of that. Or 
Much worse for Biden. <laughs> Maybe this is an example of rats fleeing the sinking ship. Speaking right? speaking of, of, of money woes and sinking ships, you know, Elon Musk has successfully uh, taken over Twitter. <laughs> he is now the chief twit. Um, you know, there's there's talk of, of financial instability. Advertisers may be backing out. Um, I think he just announced he just well not announced, but just fired. Around half, is that right, Dan? Around half That's right. of the Twitter mm-hmm. employees, which is which I find quite rude because Dan, when you asked me what I would need to do to, to fix Twitter, what did I say? You said you'd have to fire at least half. That's of exactly that. what I said. <laughs> so so Elon, thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, That's right. anyone who got fired, I apologize. I did not think he was listening. <laughs> Um, and I definitely didn't think he would do that. So, so that's a, a surprise, a surprising move for sure. Um, but yeah, he's definitely getting a lot it's of about thirty. It's about thirty-seven hundred people. Yeah, that's a lot of people. That is a lot of people, and and it's going to be interesting to see if he can make Twitter viable. You know, I gotta wonder if he's got some buyer's remorse. The fact that he tried to back out of it at one point makes me think there was some buyer's remorse that. <laughs> At one point, he was like, this is an amazing principled idea. We need freedom of speech in the United States. Twitter is an, is an information hub. I should buy it, make it profitable, and at the same time, allow for freedom of speech. And at a certain point in this process, he's like, I can still get that freedom of speech thing, but that profitable thing, I'm getting worried. And that's that's <laughs> fair. That's fair when you spent $44 billion for an unprofitable company. It's it's fair to be concerned. But hopefully he can do it because, I mean, there is a legitimate purpose to Twitter, I think. And so, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I have a hard time because I don't even use Twitter. I, I, I have a hard time. I don't even use social media. I mean, someone someone duplicated my Facebook account, and so I had to get on Facebook for the first time in a long time, and it was terrible. <laughs> be like this wasn't me and you know because they reached out to you was basically what you said that's what i that. posted on facebook yes <laughs> I saw you. you can tell this wasn't actually me because, because they were not because they're on facebook <laughs> that's right <laughs> which is funny uh, um twitter is such an interesting what drama i suppose at this point um partially with the change of ownership it makes sense that people withdrew their advertising for non-political reason, reasons, right? You want to be like, where is this going before I invest money here? How many people are going to actually continue to use it? So that there is, I think, on by any uh, you know reasonable reckoning, withdrawals. With, I can't talk. Withdrawals of advertisements were to be expected, but. Elon is arguing that this is politically motivated, mm-hmm. and and some of it probably is. Some of it probably isn't. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of these companies are probably just yeah, like, well, let's see what happens. He's definitely a little bit too much on the defensive side, if you ask me. Like, I get it. <laughs> he is I all get over it. Twitter. He feels like he's he's being attacked around the clock, but that's also one of the prices you pay for being this big of a figure. I mean, he is one of the most known figures in the United States right now. I mean, we're talking top 10 people in the United States. You know what I mean? Like just hands down. If things people are talking about, Elon Musk is one of them. And that means a lot of people are going to be saying a lot of nasty things about you 
on the website you now own. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I get that that's going to be frustrating, but it is what it is. Did you see that he is? So he's charging $8 per month for the blue checkmark for verified account. I heard that. Uh, This is part of how he hopes to, because we've mentioned before, Twitter was losing money every year of its existence. It has never been profitable. (laughs) So so Elon can't just have it continue doing what it was doing. Not that he could anyway, because with the change, and obviously he's got to figure out how to actually make money on this now, especially Mm -hmm. now that it's a private company Mm -hmm. where he would have to personally, you know, is personally indebted and responsible for seeing that the investments in it pay off. And this isn't a public company where, where you can continue to court public cash influxes. He's got to do that personally. He could, I mean, he could. Yeah, he can get new investors, but but it it is different. Absolutely. It is different and it's, and it's on his shoulders now. And so uh, we were talking before this about how do you make Twitter profitable? First off, you gotta, you want, you need people to use it. And we, and we don't, I don't feel like we yet know where the chips are going to fall on that. You know, how many people are actually going to leave Twitter? How many people are going to see this $8 subscription for a blue check mark and be like, this is dumb. Well, how many of them are going to be like the political changes. The good news you know, is all these people who are complaining about Twitter are doing it on Twitter, which is a great sign <laughs> for Elon Musk that this, this net, that this, this platform is so ingrained that people are like, I am so mad at Twitter right now that I have no choice but to log on to Twitter and complain about it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. Elon had a sarcastic comment about that where he said uh, $8 for complaints or something like <laughs> that. $8 a month for complaints. <laughs> it which is which is fair. Like uh if if that's if that's if he thinks that's viable. I would have said that's not viable and it certainly wasn't viable when it was starting, right? When Twitter's starting, but at this point Maybe people are too attached to it and they won't actually Honest, leave. And honestly, the question is how many people are verified? Who are the people who are verified? You know what I mean? You know, last time I checked, it's a lot of a lot of celebrities, a lot of public yep. figures, yeah. a lot of people with more money. You know what I mean? Not a lot of uh-huh. average Joes are verified. As far as I know, I could be wrong on that. It could be that, you know, two million people are verified and obviously two million people aren't going to pay $8 a month for something that is not doesn't offer a ton of value offers some value absolutely yeah yeah but you need you'd need yeah at that point if you're paying money for it you need to justify it as something yeah, which is easy for something or like a business which expense. is easy something yeah. for a public figure to do but not so much for yeah or a business that's getting yeah exactly rent, uh, you know advertising out of it mm-hmm. yeah because in those it's categories eight dollars a month is nothing you know what i mean or, or next to nothing yeah, it's been it's been fun and interesting to follow. Uh, I don't want to be callous about the employees that were laid off, um, but I was looking at some of the teams that were eliminated, and there are things like <laughs> there were a couple. And these are probably extremes, right? Some of them were like, uh, and they're trying to file a class action lawsuit against uh, Twitter because they didn't get appropriate notice or they didn't get. I don't, I don't know what laws. Maybe there are laws under California law or even federal law. Uh, or whatever state, there's various states that these employees are in mm-hmm. um, that would actually uh, that will actually cause this lawsuit to be to uh, pay them. But uh, um, anyway, there some of the teams that were cut were things like like ethics teams and uh, misinformation teams and uh, uh, human rights teams and things like this. And it's like, what are you 
doing there? Like Twitter is ultimately several, you know, server space and uh, some content moderation, certainly. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And Elon's going to yeah, continue yeah, with yeah. some what, content what do you moderation. Need for human rights protection beyond content moderation. You know what I mean? Why does that require a, Why is a, this specific, a, special, team? a special team, a whole team of people yeah. getting paid yeah. just to look at human rights in the context of the UN is weird, is weird at the very least. And I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Especially when There's you're no talking about a business that a... that's hemorrhaging money. You know what I mean? If you're a successful yeah. business and you're like, we have plenty of profit, we're going to experiment with some things. I, I could get that. But this is a company that has failed to make money and one of their large expenses is their human resources you know what i mean the number of people who work for them in all of these positions that costs a lot yeah, yeah there was a there was a a leak from uh through project veritas where this employee there was talking about it. he's like no one cares about the costs we're commie as f here <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like well that's exactly what your market record shows so that's exactly why you're leaking money all the time a lot of these people would like there were tons of amenities this place. You could go and get massages. You um, you had very few hours where you had to be doing something specific in a lot of these positions. And so they're lounging around and they're getting... Uh, anyway, anyway, I don't want to paint too broadly because you don't know who's doing what exactly. But at the higher levels and, and probably with board groups like these ethics groups, truly unnecessary. Um, or at least could be narrowed down to a single job or an additional an additional duty of someone who's actually working regularly <laughs> someone who's actually you know working throughout the day mm-hmm. but uh, i like his new title he's changed elon musk has changed his title to um what was it twitter complaint hotline operator <laughs> from chief twit to twitter uh complaint hotline operator and that seems that seems about right right now with given the amount of complaints and and i was about to say i should tell him we should form a specialist team of uh you know, Twitter complaint hotline team because there's a lot of complaints coming in. You know, maybe we need some more specialists there. He he should, and then he should just send it forward all complaints to automated messages. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, other news because there's a there's a lot more going on than just Elon Musk, even though he is fun to talk about. Um, interest rates been hiked another 0.75 percent. So if you thought that things were going to get better. Who have you been listening to? Who has been saying things are going to get better? Almost everyone is in agreement now that what we've been saying for a while is that things are not things are not looking great. You know, um, inflation is still high, coupled with a high interest rate. Um, if we don't head into a hardcore recession, I'm going to be deeply surprised at this point. Like it's just. This is just recession market. Like we are, we are heading there, and we are heading there fast. The good news is that recession is going to help with the inflation. The bad news is it's going to be coupled with large amounts of unemployment and pain and suffering across the board. So, <laughs> so do with that what so, you will. <laughs> so there wasn't really good news, is what you were saying. <laughs> so what I'm hearing here is the good news is on paper a few numbers will look more healthy. Well, well, there, there's there's always some good news. Like the the housing market is going to be affected by this. The housing market, housing prices are going to drop. That actually yeah. is good news. Just yeah, coupled right. with a lot of bad yeah. news. That's right. The the truth is you want malinvestment to be discovered so that people 
invest in things that are productive, which mm -hmm. means housing is a good example. Housing markets are going to take a, a beating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there's no reason houses should be worth twice as much as they no, were five I, years ago. No, and I've ago. heard lots of reports about all these Airbnbs that have popped up that popped up years ago, but like in the past couple years have exploded. And so many people have just been buying up properties for Airbnbs. And the question, of course, is raised, well, you know, how, how, how much vacation space do we need? You know what I mean? Can the market yeah. actually bear this? Because if it can, if there's actually that big of a need, then that then that makes perfect you know economic sense but yeah i think there were a lot of malincentives here and a lot of weird things going on especially since covid that created malinvestment in airbnbs and you're going to see a hit there you know what i mean just yeah. like we saw yeah. malinvestment in the form of a lot of people buying homes that maybe they shouldn't have a lot of speculators buying homes and the chance of flipping them and things like that that are going to come crashing down that malinvestment, which is good, but in the meantime, it's going to be a little bit rough. Yeah, yeah, malinvestment in this context being people have spent invested a lot of money here, and they shouldn't have because there actually isn't the demand for the mm -hmm. supply of, mm -hmm. of vacation housing that's now out there, or yeah. or house flipping and so on. Um, so there's going to be market adjustments, and that's that's good. We want more resources, less less resources going to building houses, assuming that they're you know that there that's the case and more going to other things right there's actually or in the case a, of airbnb less houses you know going towards going. vacation rentals and more homes going towards people living yes in them. that's right that's right that's right you could just relocate re reallocate yeah because uh, because what because, current houses are being because used for an <laughs> airbnb owner backing out looks like a home sale you know what i mean that's what they would do <laughs> is they'd sell it on the market to get rid of it you know to get rid of that that liability slash asset. Yes, that's right. They wouldn't right. just close up shop and leave the home empty. That's right. And, and depending on how you measure uh, uh, recession. With a ruler. We're, we're, I think by how I would consider a recession, I'd say we're in one. Um, a lot of the benchmarks have been hit. A few of them haven't because the inflation is weird because uh -huh. supply chain stuff and there's there's other complicating factors, but I don't think that makes it not a recession. I think it makes it a recession plus some other things. That's fair. And and that's why I said hardcore recession, that the recession yes, is going to yes. get worse. Like this this is technically a recession, but it's not the full but brunt we're not at the low point. of the yeah. economic pain that we're going to suffer yeah. as a country. Like this, especially with the interest rate going up, I mean, there's going to be an economic toll to be paid and it's going to be rough. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um that's fair. A few other things. Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband, um <laughs> was was attacked in I believe their San Francisco home. Um I I remember when it first happened, it was at least in passing being described as an assassination attempt. Um that's a little far fetched. Um it appears it was someone who was mentally unstable. Um, at, at one point, Paul Pelosi and, and the attacker were, were wrestling over a hammer. Um, and the, the attacker got the hammer and, and, and beat Paul Pelosi with it before the cops were able to intervene. Because I think that was right when the cops got the, the whole thing's weird. The whole thing's weird, right? The whole thing is weird. It is weird. 
Which is why it's spawned a variety of conspiracy theories. It's, and, it's, uh, it's spawned th- a variety that may be of true. conspiracy theories. Yeah, a variety of theories. We'll say that, theories for now because well, they, more they, can, may yeah, come out. They are conspiracy theories. I mean, because they, they were they were built pretty darn quick. But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, just, some because, of them just because, just because there's a possibility yeah. of them being true does not mean they're not a conspiracy theory. But anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But – and then, of course, on the left, they've been very quick to make this as political as possible leading up to the midterms about this is just another example of the MAGA, you know, January 6th, stop the steal, you know, use violence at any cost because they hate us messaging. And I just think that's inaccurate based off of the facts that we have. That really seems like a stretch. This this, this seems like it was a mentally unstable person. It doesn't. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up to be that kind of thing. He doesn't even look like he's like this. This big conservative Trump supporter it just seems like a a crazy person doing a crazy thing. Doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. Like that's that's a bad thing. But bad things happen all the time, and they don't have to be politicized. Now, obviously, yes, Paul Pelosi is you know the husband of one of the most powerful politicians of the United States. So I don't know. I don't know all the details. I don't know all the implications, but I feel like any kind of politicization yeah. right now is a bit of a leap. That's uh, that's right. That's what I would that's the point I would make at this given what we what we do know now. We know a couple things that are important. The the Democrats are spinning this as Republicans are violent. This is what they want to do to everybody. Republicans see this as likely some sign of Pelosi and her husband's corruption. And they're just not sure how yet. They've got a lot of theories, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and both of them are trying to spin it that way. But if you look at this guy's life, this guy was liter- is literally uh, psychotic in the sense that he goes into psychoses where he does not know what is real and what isn't real. Uh, there was a period of time where his, uh, his ex was describing him. He, he disappeared and he showed up and he believed he was Jesus for a long period of time. That's yeah. He, he, he's from Berkeley, California, lived in a, like a broken down vehicle for a while. Like, like this, this person is clearly in, in the classic sense, crazy. Mm -hmm. And so does he represent all Republicans? Is he the kind of person that a politician (laughs) is going to invite into their home and be perfect? And I was just thinking of the immediate answer of, well, obviously, that's that's what republicans are is they are (laughs) clinically insane have you not been listening right Right. what if we take the craziest person out of ten thousand people and we pretend that his crazy actions mean something important for the country right like like i don't know what political conclusion you can draw here now maybe maybe more details will come that will allow us to draw one but given the the some of the details that are there i just I feel like it's a bridge too far to be like he represents Republicans or he's some sign of corruption in the Pelosi family. No, we, right. we've got to have something more concrete. Yeah, because right now all the signs point to a crazy person doing a crazy thing. Yeah, yeah. And until, until I have proof otherwise, that's, that's enough. The Supreme Court has been in an interesting place. Um, they took their break after dropping... A bunch of bombshells, including the, the getting rid of Roe v. Wade, right? Um, they were like, know, that's enough for now. Let's take a pause. <laughs> well, that's usually how it goes. We've half the United States to hate our guts, and that, that's good enough for today. They have a session. Uh, there's a different term for it, where they, you know, a period where they're sitting and hearing cases. And, uh, and uh, they did that, 
and at the end they deliver all their decisions. Uh, sometimes they deliver decisions throughout, but uh, but often there's several there at the end, and it's big news. So right now they're hearing more cases, and uh, and the ones they're hearing and what kind of questions they ask, you know, how it's presented, you can sometimes get a feel for the decision ahead of time. And one of the ones that's being kicked around centers, or I guess there are two particular cases on this issue, um, but they're discussing what is essentially affirmative action in schools. One of them is the Harvard discrimination against Asians. Um, if you're not familiar with this, you can look it up. We'll probably, you know, once a decision is made on this, we'll, we'll analyze this more closely. But it appears that affirmative action as a concept may get shot down. And one of the interesting arguments, yeah, Alito was making an interesting <laughs> argument because he's he was looking at the brief on this Harvard case, and he challenged the the uh, attorney uh, presenting at the time, um, defending Harvard, saying, uh, "Why is it that Asians don't show up in your entire brief?" Um, and they had this interesting back and forth about it. That didn't necessarily mean something particular, but but then Alito says isn't taking race into account in favoring one race over another inherently discriminating against that other race in this case by by uh giving uh blacks and latinos and i don't know what other races uh some kind of bump automatically going to discriminate against asians um and i think there's i th i think affirmative action from the beginning it to me has seemed sketchy um, and by sketchy, I mean, I fundamentally disagree with it. <laughs> <laughs> sketchy being my uh, for, for, more for casual very, word. <laughs> for that very, very reason, because that's exactly what it is, is, is you are, is you are saying we, we are going to favor this race over another, which was the original problem with racism. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the idea with affirmative action is, well, we're, we're rectifying past wrongs that they don't have the same opportunities to get there. You know, you go back to Kendi where it all comes down to, you know, equality of outcomes mm -hmm. and, and the end result of that is just something really weird and really eerily reminiscent of, I mean, Jim Crow laws, honestly, <laughs> I mean, because you you go you go to to school districts where they have special meetings just for black for black students that white students aren't allowed to be a part of. You know what I mean? And they have and they they break things down as much as they can by race in many different ways, all with very good intentions. You know what I mean? This is obviously different from what happened before, but there are eerie similarities. You know what I mean? And yes, yeah. white people aren't being persecuted in the way that black people were during the Jim Crow era, but it doesn't change the fact that you are using the law to discriminate based off of race on a regular basis, and that can can have some real ramifications. Yeah, you can you can say this is not the same as it was before, and you can also say, but there is discrimination happening, <laughs> and it may be with good intentions in most cases, and but it's uh yeah anyway it's it's an interesting it's an interesting case because it's a lot of people would say yes you should discriminate against the whites they're much less comfortable saying you know people who've uh, really uh adopted this critical race theory but they're much less comfortable saying you should discriminate against asians mm -hmm. who are who are a minority and especially when it's like asian immigrants who are very poor and just working their rears off 
So anyway, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting place, and I would love for the Supreme Court to get rid of uh, get rid of affirmative action categorically. The Supreme Court originally created affirmative action. It was how they chose to implement. Um, and by affirmative action, we mean specifically like quotas for the number of people of, of different races. Um, and uh, it was it was the Supreme Court that created it because they were put in a position where they had to judge whether or not discrimination was happening. And they said, how do we judge? And they came up with this numbers system. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it's it's changed and what Harvard's doing isn't quite the same, right? But it's the, the principle is still in question and still underneath all of this. And uh, anyway, this the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, uh, we're in for what appears to be as big a uh, as big of a session. I mean, session is the wrong word. As big of a this period of the court is going to make a bunch of of really important decisions, um, and I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just want to throw one last thing in here for people who haven't listened to our earlier podcasts. We don't believe that race relations are perfect in the United States today. We don't believe that there is no more racism and thus we should move on. We just believe that this isn't the answer. You know what I mean? There are things that we can do. There are things we can look at. There are cases of real racism that remain today that need to be dealt with. But quotas aren't the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's ways you can help people. Who are at the bottom and and give them boosts and this just isn't it. So New York laid off all of its uh, employees, city employees, who would not get vaccinated. Now there were laws in some places that required you to get vaccinated, depending on like like if you were in medicine. Um, and then there were there were hospitals that required that, or right, specific employers could require mm-hmm. what they want from their employees. Mm-hmm. This particular case, the city is the employer. And they determined that if you didn't uh, get vaccinated, um, you couldn't work there. And they were fired. Um, and they were fired not in a not just in a. Well, let's see. I guess I don't know that. Let me make a note. Thirty-five. And so they're fired. And then it turns out that the basis of that argument, the reason you could require someone to get vaccinated at the heart was because you didn't want them to spread the virus to other people. Mm -hmm. And that was what justified the mandate from a legal perspective. The the legal basis was you were going to harm other people. And that was the, that was the rationale. That was, that was uh, what allowed the federal government and other government agencies to make this choice. Now you can agree or disagree with that principle. Um, Which, which is fascinating, Dan, because they're they're now claiming that they never made the claim that it deters the spread. You know, I've I've heard that <laughs> claim several times. That that was never that was never the claim. It was never about deterring the spread. It was always just about preventing your own sickness. <laughs> you know, decreasing your personal symptoms. There probably have there probably are a couple doctors and people out there who never argued that it would stop the spread, and good for them. But certainly the public <laughs> messaging was absolutely, you don't do this for you, you do this for grandma. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it turns out this doesn't help grandma. That was, that was one of the big things about COVID. <laughs> one of many, but perhaps the most important, one of the most important that we're, we got wrong. And by we, I mean other people. 
Uh, I refuse refuse to take responsibility for that. We never said that. We never argued that. In fact, we very quickly looked at the data and were like, this is not stopping the spread. What are we doing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So that destroys New York's legal basis for firing these people. And so a judge in New York, a New York state judge of some kind, this may even have been a Supreme Court judge, said, yeah, it turns out you just violated their rights because the evidence wasn't there to make that claim. It, it wasn't that the evidence was there and then it turned out, you know, science came to that conclusion and then we got further data and it turned out it was wrong. That can happen. That's not what happened. There was no evidence that it would stop the spread. And yet that claim was made. It was a, it was a lie. And most people were just repeating the lie, right? They didn't know it was false. Mm-hmm. They're just repeating what they're told and, and so on. But anyway... So now the legal basis is gone, and the judge says, you actually have to rehire those people because With you shouldn't have fired right? them. And pay them for the time that they haven't been working. Give them back pay. That's a huge deal. Yeah, that's um, crazy. If New York does that and can, and can go back and try and right the wrongs of governments acting on bad information regarding COVID, and how they harmed people, you can see why that opens the door for a lot of things. If that's, if that's possible, if we're going to go back and we're going to say, you have no legal basis for lockdowns. Mm-hmm. We want recompense. You have no mm-hmm. legal basis for whatever it may be. Um, and, and I think this, I don't agree precisely with the legal reasoning uh, because I would, have, I would have said it wasn't right for them to do it even if it did spread. That's a separate story. We've talked about vaccine, the morals of like spreading diseases and things like that mm-hmm. in other episodes. But I do think absolutely they violated people's rights here and something, justice demands something. Of course, when you demand justice from government, it's, a, it's always a weird thing because it's just taxpayer money. It's just your own resources. <laughs> <laughs> so how exactly you solve that is a little you know, a little vague. I don't know why. Anyway, that's a, that's another question, right? But, but this, uh, this whole COVID thing is headed to a point where in part, because in Europe, they're demanding accountability, uh, from Pfizer in particular, who most of the EU, uh, got their, got their vaccines from. Um, but as they're digging into the data, a lot of it's spilling over into the U.S., where the U.S. has done a much more effective job of burying it and pretending to move on. Um, <laughs> Isn't it nice that the U.S. now gets that title? You know, we, we get to be the country that is completely ignoring the facts, while over in the European Union, they're like, you know they what? Sound we sound reasonable. Gotta, we need to look at the data. We need to see what actually happened here. We want transparency and government accountability, and we're over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is weird. That's good for Europe, right? Good for Europe. And partially why they can do that is, uh, is uh, there's no political stakes, right? They're all they were all okay with the lockdowns, <laughs> and with mm-hmm. the, like so they can all now be angry. There's no, it doesn't undermine the president. Yeah, it wasn't as politically angry. split as it was here in the United States, right? Right, because here in the United States, you have the problem that the 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 party that is in office was the party that said we need to follow the rules, we need to we need to do A, B, and C, and things will get better. And the other half that said, you know, this is a bad idea, 
And of course, it doesn't always go down party lines. Just ask ask the uh, wine steins steins. Just just ask Brett and Heather, <laughs> who are not conservative at all. But anyways, um, yeah, yeah. And and honestly, I mean, I don't, I didn't like Trump's policies with COVID, and I didn't like Biden's, and uh, they were more similar than they were different. Absolutely. No, they they mostly differed in jargon. So this brings us to an article that was written in the Atlantic that got a lot of attention, and uh, especially from people who it who were upset by it. This is written by Emily Oster. And uh, it's titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. Now, you can go through and read this article yourself. Uh, but the, the basic idea is explained very well in the title. Her claim is, uh, is that what we need to do, if you just summarize it, what we need to do is we need to forgive people for mistakes they made when they were acting with limited information. Mm-hmm. And that's... I'm 100% on board. It's a very reasonable principle. idea. Yep. Yep. Where I disagree with her is where she implies we had limited information. And she, she says specifically, we want to hold people accountable. Deliberate, deliberate purveyors of misinformation should be held accountable. Bad actors should be held accountable. People who had limited information and made decisions as well as they could in the circumstances should not. Yeah, and, and we you can hear distinguish that, between the two. You hear that. Okay, two categories. We had people acting in good faith who were scared and just trying to do what's right. And then you had bad actors who gained who had better knowledge and yet still lied or manipulated or spread misinformation even though they knew better, right? And you hear right. those two groups and you're like, "Okay, well obviously the people who were good faith was your neighbor who was panicking about COVID, who was being told left and right, this is going to kill you, this is going to kill everyone you love, yeah. here's what you need to do, and next thing you know, that person is getting mad at you for not wearing a mask, right? The, yeah, they, they wouldn't even know where to go to look for studies, let alone how to read them, let alone how to, like, yeah, they're just, they're just fine. They, yeah, they may, they may have gotten angry at you out on the street because you weren't wearing a mask. And that's utter nonsense because that was no risk to them at all. Or but they didn't know that and they couldn't know that. And so, yeah, even or in that more case. more realistically, they were... Dan, they're a family member and you had many fights about him and, <laughs> yes, and, and falling right. outs because of the COVID thing. And so her article saying, hey, you should forgive them and understand that they didn't know and – and say, you know what, it's it's water under the bridge is yeah. totally would be totally reasonable, right? And then you think about that other group, okay, well, who lied, who withheld information, who knew better? And you're like, okay, well, there were a large number of government institutions that knew better, that misinformed the public, that was caught lying several times. And those were probably the active purveyors of misinformation, right? That she's talking about is these government institutions. That it, that knew it must better, be, right? It or must news. be. <laughs> but then you read the actual article, and those are swapped. When she's talking about, you know, people who should be given the benefit of the doubt, she implies that it's government bodies, which is an impressive stretch. And then when you're talking about people who, you know were purveyors of misinformation, she references things like the bleach scandal to try and 
which of course implies that it's these nutjob conspiracy theorists who are the purveyors of misinformation, not these government bodies and not these institutions. Yeah, the clear bad guy here, whatever else she, the, the only specific example she gives is the bleach of, of, of someone who is a uh, purveyor of misinformation tying back to Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Trump, the, <laughs> the, Trump is the bad guy here. Yes. We all know that. We should forgive at least some large unknown you know, group who uh, besides that. But really, really, they were the problem? Like, if you look at well, and, and, Trump and talking about bleach was the problem or whatever. I don't even know how that story started exactly. But, the, you know, the bleach thing, that was the real misinformation that we're learning about regarding COVID. <laughs> yeah, if that were the only misinformation, you wouldn't have to write this article. You know what I mean? Obviously, obviously, if, if the only misinformation were the conspiracy theorists, you would never write this article because no one wants to declare amnesty for the nut jobs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No one writing for the Atlantic is saying, hey, let's forgive the nut jobs and move on. No, she's saying she she's walking an amazingly thin line here because what she's saying is let's forgive the institutions and governments that were that were acting with the best of intentions <laughs> and let's not forgive the conspiracy theorists who were the purveyors of misinformation when in reality it was the nut jobs who were right more often than the government was on a whole you know what i mean if you take all the nut jobs because the Weinsteins are the nut jobs. You know what I mean? Um, we're the nut jobs. Joe Rogan's a nut job. You know, anyone who voiced a contrary opinion was was categorized as a nut job. We were put right next to Bleach Boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all of those people were actually looking at the facts, were looking at the data, would change what they said. You know, I mean, you can listen to the Weinstein episodes and go back where they're like, we actually got this wrong. This is what's real. You know what I mean? We thought it was this, but we were actually wrong. This is what's actually going on. And then you have government agencies that you find out new things and lied intentionally in order to accomplish whatever their agenda was at the time. Starting at the very beginning with masks where they told you masks weren't important because they were trying to save them for hospitals. Then turn around and told you masks are important. And they told you these cloth masks are still going to help you when they knew that those cloth masks weren't nearly as effective as the other masks. And they didn't and all sorts of data that they didn't disclose and that didn't actually support the actions that they were doing, you know, and that brings you back to the, you know, the vaccine with the spread because the vaccine lies are horrendous. You know what I mean? The lies that the the government and, and the CDC perpetrated are horrendous and and blatant and to argue that that was all done in good faith is insane it is insane it wasn't done in good faith the cdc the who um governments across the world are the purveyors of misinformation (laughs) often acting because the way the way politics works is if people get scared what you do is you protect them and you get brownie points you you become more popular and so if you were to say, what is the politically expedient thing to do for my election popularity? It's to, it's to say, you were right to be fe- afraid. In fact, 
you should be even more afraid. I'm going to save you. And governments across the world did that knowing that a lot of what they were doing was false and was based on bad information. And it's just the things that people knew, uh, vaccine injuries. Um, there's, there's things, <laughs> again, Europe digging through Pfizer's things. Pfizer yeah, knew the way that Pfizer's they, the, the, did, the way Pfizer did their studies is unethical. Like there is. are, there are a serious number of, of unethical and, and not just unethical, but more importantly, they violated the integrity of the studies. Yes, yes. Which means that the the studies data that it tells you Study, is going to be the conclusions are false. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So she concludes this by saying many people have neglected their health care over the past several years. Notably, routine vaccination rates for children are way down. Rather than debating the role that messaging about COVID vaccines had in this decline, we need to put all our energy into bringing these rates back up. So she she recognizes that. The fear of COVID and the messaging around COVID led to people neglecting their health care. Mm-hmm. And she says, now what we need to do is we need to put all of our energy, rather than debating, right? Rather than looking and saying, well, why on earth did we do this? All of our energy needs to go to the future and solving current problems. Pediatricians and public health officials will need to work together on community outreach, and politicians will need to consider school mandates. You know, and that's an interesting quote, Dan, because I come from a long line, not a long line, it's a joke, but I I come from a culture that's generally anti-vaccine, right? And they never had the best reasons for it, in my opinion. You know, it was Mm -hmm. a little bit conspiracy theorist, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, leaving the house, starting a family, we weren't just anti-vaccine. You know, me and my wife would talk about it. And, you know, my son's gotten several vaccines. And now we have, you know, our second child. And it's like, well, what vaccine should she get as she's, you know, going to these checkups? And we have these discussions about which vaccines make sense, which would you get? No, we weren't just like no vaccines ever. That's the worst thing ever. The thing is, is COVID vaccines have a significant impact on how you view other vaccines because (laughs) the argument has always been, you know, conspiracy theorists say, you know, they're covering up all of these things. It's all a lie. It's not doing what it's supposed to do, blah, 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 et cetera. And you're like, well, that's kind of crazy. You know what I mean? Because that would require, you know, these these companies and more importantly, the government to just be lying to our faces for years. The problem with COVID is that now we're, you know, two and a half years in and we've realized that these pharmaceutical companies completely botched all of their data. The government knows that and is doing nothing about it. The government is repeatedly lying to us about these COVID vaccines and they've learned more and more and more and the people have learned more and more and more and they still continue to lie. Did we even land on the moon? <laughs> yeah, like like for real though. It, it makes you second guess everything. Where you're like, I, I don't want to be an anti-vaxxer where I'm like, yeah, this whole thing is a lie and everything is a conspiracy. But it, it's, that sure sounds a lot easier than having your conclusion be, well, obviously what we should do is focus on getting those vaccine rates up. No, the only way you're going to get those vaccine rates up is if the government comes out against the COVID vaccines and is like, yes, this was a major screw up and admits that something was wrong here because that is the only way for us to know that the government has our backs at all. Because if the government's not willing to do that, then how else do we, do we trust the government? People have fundamentally lost their faith in government 
as an institution that won't lie to their faces because of COVID. And more lies and more covering up is not going to fix that. Yeah, she, you know she wants I mean? us to consider school mandates for vaccinations and things. Does she want everybody to be homeschooled? Like, <laughs> like the numbers have radically increased over the years. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, I know some people who are anti-vax. Uh, being from, uh, we're both from uh, very conservative states, and so and and have been around uh, homeschooling groups and and different, you know, people who are willing to question things. And often, yes, the, is, uh, the nuts once again, you know, these extremist <laughs> groups, and I and I mean that with love. Obviously, as as we're talking here, you yes. know, I, I've called you guys the names, but clearly, if anything, you guys are are the victors here. So <laughs> yes, we've been don't get too offended by the last three years. Yeah, it's and uh, and as such, well, it's, it helps to be around people who question everything. What you're going to find is they're going to have some ridiculous beliefs, and they're going to be right about some things that you are never going to know unless you're talking to people like them. And uh, and so it's useful, of course. You know, you take things with a grain of salt, and you. Do your homework and whatnot, but because not everything is a conspiracy. Not everything is a conspiracy, and, right? And as and as people become, as you start to see conspiracies, it's easy to go full paranoid and believe everything's conspiracy. Um, resist that because that's not a healthy place to be. <laughs> um, but somewhere in the middle, actually, is the truth. People do conspire. There are things uh, that are happening. Um, it's a it's a good point. It makes you wonder. Now, obviously, previous vaccines have gone under different standards, but there are also some bad incentives. And yes, the data for a lot of those comes from the people presenting the vaccines themselves. You know, the people who will profit off it do a lot of the research. But then there's longer term testing, and um, I feel pretty confident saying that if that the general vaccines, I'm fairly confident saying that generally generally the vaccines are not going to do that much harm. How much good they do is debatable and so on. Mm -hmm. And this vaccine. Well, and, and, I, and you also notice as you were saying that you had to temper, I tempered your, it. Uh -huh. your firmness. And that's what I'm saying about this is that the, the, the reason the numbers are down is because our faith in government has been tempered. You know, I'm not saying the I'm not saying that either, that those all those yes, vaccines yes. are are the ultimate killers because they couldn't be, you know what I mean? Yes. They we, couldn't be we would have overwhelming evidence scale, if they were, mm -hmm. but there could definitely be more than what they're reporting and, and they could cover it. Right. Up, you know what I mean? Right. It, it just raises that doubt just a little bit, you know? Yes. Yes. Which is enough where if you're like, how much good do these actually do? Where maybe that balances the other way now. And you're like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to take, mm -hmm. I'm not going to take this vaccine. Or whatever it may be, you know. Anyway, it, it's interesting. She, she, if she wants to continue to push people in that direction, what she should do is work together with pediatricians and public officials, health officials, on community outreach projects where the government is telling you what's healthy for you, and consider mandates. <laughs> That's like, have you learned nothing? from this experience and, and how it's undermined what people think of you. Now, it's worth noting that this author, Professor Emily Oster, uh, tweeted in December of 2021, which is, which is late enough that she should have known way better than this. Uh, th this mm -hmm. is when we're talking about, are they, are they deliberate purveyors of misinformation or are they good faith actors? Um, obviously, the timeline matters because you get more information available as you go. This is this is late enough. She should know everything she needs to know about the vaccine or stopping the spread of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. 
She says, shaming people who haven't gotten vaccinated is not likely to work at this point or ever. What will? Maybe vaccine requirements for things you want to do, like domestic air train, travel, work, sports, events. We can have these without shame. Paraphrase a little of that. She's talking weirdly because it's on Twitter. Her point being, what we need, maybe, maybe the way to get people to take the vaccines for the good of society is to force them to, if they want to do things like travel, go to work, attend sports events. Right? This is the person who's now saying, we need to forgive people for acting you know, with limited information. She should have known at that point. She could have known if she would listen to people who were asking questions. Um, and here's the other, the other major point that I want to make with this. I do not excuse people who are acting as well as they can within their knowledge if what they decide to do is force me to act on their limited knowledge too. If you mm -hmm. don't know what the right answer to do is and you, you feel like you don't have enough information to say for sure, you do not force other people on on your assumptions you don't lockdowns are the big example here we were scared we locked down now every previous pandemic had taught us that lockdowns don't help brad and i went through and we talked about the pandemic mm -hmm. guidelines the u.s pandemic guidelines written by the cdc um was it the cdc or the who i think it was the who it was the who we looked at Wait, the who's who? pandemic guidelines <laughs> world health organization's pandemic guidelines um and what they had learned is that it's not productive um, you, what you do is you isolate the vulnerable groups, which in this case is the elderly, and you and you let the let it burn through the rest of the population. That's what we should have done. That's what we'd known from previous experience. We threw that out out of fear. We locked down on limited information we were drawing from data from China that we knew was BS. And then, and then you can't you can't come to me and claim, well, I didn't know. If you don't know. Then let everybody then make their own decision. Yeah. Yeah. Why on earth are you forcing your solution on everyone if you didn't know? At the time, you thought you knew and you were wrong. You didn't know. You didn't know. And the fact that you thought you knew is precisely why you shouldn't be trusted with power in those, in those circumstances. Right? Which leads to a differentiation I want to make here. Forgiveness is divine. You should forgive people. You should forgive people for your own sake, uh, both for, I think, spiritual reasons and in spiritual reasons that you can, that, that have uh, very real psychological benefits, right? Forgiveness is good. You should, uh, grudges and those kind of things are, uh, can and will destroy you. Forgiveness does not require that you also give that person 100% of your trust again. Mm -hmm. That would make forgiveness akin to, pretending like it didn't happen or something like that, right? We, we, I can yeah. forgive people who've done things to me, even intentionally who are wrong. I can forgive intentional purveyors of misinformation. I do not want them to be running the CDC. I do not want them to be anywhere near it, right? I don't want them in, in positions of influence in the news. The, the forgiveness is not even the question. What she's, ad, what she's really advocating is not forgiveness, right? She's saying, let's let's ignore this and <laughs> let's look yeah, at the problems and, we and have you today. You know, she's not really advocating for forgiveness because she hasn't acknowledged what has actually happened. That's right. You that's know what right. I mean? The bleach she example is all she comes up with. And refuses mm -hmm. to state 
the the real issues that people are upset about, which is evidence of the fact that she doesn't want forgiveness. She wants us to ignore it and move on. Yeah. And, and the response from a lot of conservatives and others who were seeing this, the Weinsteins and others, um, is to be very upset <laughs> because because this because it's not in the way she presents this makes it appear like it's not in good faith. The basic ideas I agree with. What she's trying to make happen is wrong. Mm-hmm. There, there has to be accountability for people in these positions, in these political positions, in these uh, uh, bureaucratic positions. There has to be accountability, and we should forgive them. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. It's, it's, it's well written, but it's, it's totally disingenuous. I love the, uh, the, the last paragraph. She starts it by saying the standard saying is that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. But dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead to a repetitive doom loop as well. Interesting. Interesting. Remind me which society it was that studied history so much that it threw them into a repetitive doom loop. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, give me like, an that's example nonsense. of this. Like, what are you talking about that, that people learned their lessons from history so well that they had no choice but to fall into a repetitive doom loop? Yeah. Like it's Maybe. it sounds good. I mean she could but be But it doesn't measure up with any facts. Like I can't think of any society that suffered from this. Can you, Dan? I well, maybe. I'll I'll give her I'll I'll throw out an example and you tell me if this maybe well, let's, let's, the let's most see generous if can go thing. with it. So, um I'm trying to remember the author. There's a Greek tragedy that focuses on uh on uh what's the word I'm looking for? Uh Family killers, uh, uh, fratricide, fratricide. Uh huh. And uh, the idea is that you get this cycle of vengeance. Uh huh. Um, somebody uh, does something terrible. They're murdered by their son. Then they're killed by their brother, or whatever it may be. Um, and this is the this is what the Furies represent in Greek Greek mythology. This kind of uh, it's not quite justice. It's more like vengeance and passion, and uh, uh, and uh, so you get cycles of violence, of, of vengeance, basically. You harmed me, so I harmed you. So you harmed me, so I harmed you. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but if she wanted to say that, there's a much better way. <laughs> yeah, and because that, that is that is a different problem. If her concern is, well, this infighting is bad for us, that's different. What she's saying is that dwelling on the past. Dwelling on the mistakes of history, which really means learning from the mistakes of history, is what can lead to a repetitive doom loop. And that is just so disingenuous. Because I agree, political infighting is a problem we struggle with horrendously right now. One of the classic things politicians do is you say, hey, politician A, you screwed up on this issue. And they say, yes, but politician B screwed up even worse on a different issue. And therefore, I'm absolved. And you're like, wait, hold on. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. You know what I mean? You, your whole campaign can't be, yeah, but some other guy did something worse at one point. That, that, <laughs> oh, Brad, that, but that, it can. It really can. But, but, they, but they really do act like that. You know what I mean? And it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, too, it's truly fascinating because you're absolved of all responsibility for your actions as long as you can find someone who at one point did something comparable, even on a completely unrelated issue. Not even necessarily worse, just comparable. 
And and yes, that kind of infighting, that kind of, of finger pointing is nonsensical. But that is very different from learning from the mistakes in history, which we haven't done yet as a country, by the way, with COVID. You know, uh, a lot of liberals have been pushing for this January 6th hearing, and we, we've talked about this at least once, and how there is merit to the idea, and I finally realized why they cared so much. It's because half the country hadn't even acknowledged that this had happened. Half of the country had never acknowledged, and still hasn't acknowledged, that Trump tried to stop the peaceful transition of power in a completely unethical and inappropriate way that was a major violation of how our how our country is supposed to function like that's a big deal and people haven't seen that and so they're like it's so frustrating that people can't see this and they're trying to get the other side to see that so they can learn from it right and that makes sense and that's similar to what a lot of people are trying to do now in digging up dirt with COVID is they're not saying, hey, this is about political infighting. It's, hey, this mistake was made and we need as a country to acknowledge it in order to make sure it doesn't happen again. And of course, in both cases, they have been complete failures. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because of the political infighting. So so let's write an article about that because clearly this political infighting is the problem in stopping either side to acknowledge anything that was the fault of someone in their party, which is just so frustrating. It is. Which is why I love I love groups like the the Weinsteins because of that, because they don't care about the political infighting. They care about the truth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And who cares about the political consequences? And that is so rare to find. You can't find that in in the Daily Wire, you know what I mean, that you find in the Weinsteins. The Daily Wire is good for a lot of things, but they won't take time to badmouth Trump when Trump actually did something wrong because it's not good for their party. Yes. and uh, Which is disappointing. It is disappointing. It is disappointing. Um, there were a lot of, yeah, turns out politicians are disappointing as a, as a general class. Um, uh, this, this Atlantic article, she, she acts like you can't do both, right? You can either deal with the, the lies regarding COVID or you can deal with the current problems. Now, that's obviously not true, but it is true from her perspective. And I think it's important to acknowledge this. Why is it true from her perspective? Because she's not writing to conservatives or libertarians or independents. She's writing to fellow liberals and saying, mm -hmm. you were lied to. You're going to ignore it so we can unite and win this election. That's, that's what I feel like she's ultimately saying. Like you need to, there's a group of people here that are basically in agreement with me. And if you start digging into this COVID stuff, it's going to foil our political purposes. And so we need to focus on current messaging and current problems. What do you think of that interpretation? Yeah. No, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's a very reasonable interpretation. They say, yes, the government has lied to us. Our party was in charge when the government lied to us. Our party is in large part responsible. But if we let the other side win... We get Trump again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we get we get the equivalent of Trump again, and so that's that's not worth. Yeah. It. I think that's a very reasonable so interpretation. She's, she's kind of acknowledging their struggle. She is acknowledging their struggle in a coded way, and then saying, "Look at look at what's at stake. 
we need to focus on now. No, it's a, that's an interesting take, and I think it it might be right. And it, I mean, it might be a right take, not a not a right idea. <laughs> yeah, this is not it's not good necessarily because because that's the exact same that's the exact thing we say to conservatives is listen, you can't live in that wartime mentality where yes yes our party has done a bunch of things wrong, but we're gonna ignore it because we need to win this election. As long as both sides continue to do that, we're we're going to have more of the same. Yeah. And what we need is is people to be brave enough to take a stand and say, no, you know what I mean? This doesn't make sense. This is a problem like the Weinsteins did. With that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon.